What does Jesus look like to you? And is he big enough to help you overcome your fears? Let's figure out how to make Jesus big enough to help get you through the storm. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Welcome to our weekly podcast. You can always find our current happenings on our website at towerhillchurch.org, but I hope you also take a chance this week to subscribe to our Facebook page and also our new YouTube channel. Most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take another step in your faith journey. This week, we're listening to part two in our Faith Over Fear sermon series. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, it is so good to be here this morning. I'm glad that you're able to join us in worship together. And I know we were talking about kind of how we're going to do worship virtually for the rest of this month. But don't worry, we are talking about what it's going to look like to gather back together in person. So stay tuned for that. We are targeting sometime in July to begin at least some outdoor worship experiences for you. So stay tuned. We're going to talk more about that. And now as we jump into our sermon series that we started last week, Faith Over Fear, we're talking about how in the middle of stuff like we've been experiencing through COVID-19, through um, racial tension that's been happening in America, how do we move forward in faith and not allow fear to paralyze us because fear continues to be a problem that prevents us from trusting God enough no matter what the situation is. In fact, I believe that fear is at the heart of a lot of our problems, including racism. That fear fundamentally is what breaks us from trusting God and from loving one another. So we're talking for the next couple of weeks about how do we live a greater faith than fear? How do we live out our lives so that faith is something that is stronger than fear? Because fear is always going to be there, playing in the background somehow, right? Faith is always going to, excuse me, fear is always going to be there, but the question is, do we have more faith than we have fear? And so last week when we started, we talked about how, look, not all fear is bad, right? Fear is a necessary survival instinct, In other words, if the grizzly bear is chasing me, fear is going to keep me alive. I'm going to run away. It's an important survival instinct. But fear also, human fear, is broken by sin. So it doesn't always work properly. So sometimes that fear that keeps us alive uh, gets out of whack and it prevents us from living our lives in faith. And that's the thing that we're talking about. That's the thing that we need to address is when human fear, broken by sin, runs amok in our lives and gets in the way. And the biggest thing it does is that it can prevent us or get in the way of trusting God. And so last week we were sort of setting this up as step one is that just as fear is a necessary survival instinct, well, faith in love is a necessary survival instinct. So If we're living in God's sort of love cycle, the way that we've been designed to live and to share his love with others, it looks something like this, that the love of God for us helps us understand this love and to share God's love with others so that they see God's love for us. 
It's a cycle. This is what it's meant to, in other words, you can't just love God and fail to love people. You can't say that you love God and not share that love with others. Love is something that is reciprocated. Just like any meaningful, loving relationship, it only works when two people are involved in it. And it kind of works that way with our relationship with God. And so the first step in helping to have a greater faith than you have fear is to acknowledge that I need to live my faith in love. So with that in mind, let's move forward now to talking more about, well, okay, how do I live this out? What does this look like when I go through the storm? Um, You ever been in a storm on the water? I know a lot of you enjoy the water or you enjoy sailing or boating. You ever been caught in a storm? It is terrifying. I remember this uh, time when we were in vacation in Vermont. We go to Lake Champlain every year and we're out there fishing and Lake Champlain, much like the ocean, you, you see the skyline for miles and miles and miles. So we knew that there was a possibility of afternoon storms, and we're out there fishing and doing our thing. And we were prepared. We had our ponchos and everything. We had life jackets in the boat. We were ready to go. And you see the line of storms coming. And sometimes you see this summer thunderstorm coming, and you realize, this is probably not good. When the clouds are black, and you can see the lightning from miles away. You're like, yeah, this is probably a pretty major storm. But it's miles away. And the fishing's great. Clearly, I was catching everything. The, the, <laughs> the summer storm, right, it's scary. But it's like, you know what? It's far out. So let's keep fishing. When it gets close, we bail. We head back to camp. So we're out there fishing. We're doing our thing. It's my cousin, my uncle, and I. We're in the boat fishing. Small little fishing boat. And all of a sudden, the storm feels like it's pretty much right next to us. It's not quite there yet, but now we can see where the storm is on the lake. And the lake is all churned up, and the waves are bigger. And we're starting to feel the waves hit us, and we're seeing lightning, and the sky doesn't look good. And we're like, you know what? Maybe it's time we head back to camp. So we turn the boat around, and we head back to camp. And we realized pretty much instantly we were in trouble because the storm was moving much faster than our boat could move. And pretty soon, it was on top of us. And you could see kind of water spouts forming. And you can see lightning. And we're out in the middle of an aluminum boat in the middle of the lake. And I didn't know how afraid I was going to be in that moment. Because for me, that lake seems pretty calm, like non-eventful. Like, what could possibly go wrong? But the waves, from the perspective of the boat, look huge. They might not have been that big, but for us, in our perspective, they were humongous. And I'm thinking, we might, we might go down. We might tip over. We might have to swim for it. And all these thoughts are going through my head. And the fear that gripped me in that moment surprised me. I think this is how fear works. We might look at someone else's storm and be like, well, the waves aren't that bad. But for us, they might be terrifying. We don't always see it coming. We, we might know a storm's coming. A lot of times we don't know a storm's coming. But we find ourselves in the middle of the storm, and we realize, like, man, I'm pretty terrified. So how do you live faith in love in the middle of the storm when it comes? We've all experienced this. We are experiencing it right now in a lot of ways, still, of what we've been doing over the last few months. Well, this story in scripture speaks to an exact moment like this where the disciples are caught by surprise in a storm 
on the Sea of Galilee. And so let's pick up this scripture here. This is from Mark chapter 1, or excuse me, Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So what was he dismissing the crowd from? This was he had just fed the 5,000. So everybody sees this miracle happen. The disciples see this miracle happen. Then Jesus dismisses the crowd, and then the story continues. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And I want to focus on that last verse there. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Do you remember the last time that you heard in Scripture talk about somebody's heart being hardened to a miracle? It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened after witnessing the plagues unfold. His heart was hardened. In other words, the miracle was supposed to elicit faith, but it didn't. And it says kind of the same thing here with the disciples. They had all the information they needed. They saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but they didn't understand it. They didn't understand Jesus because when they were in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the wind, they didn't know what to do. Because when Jesus came out to them, well, they didn't realize it was Jesus. They didn't realize he had the power to do what he was doing. They misunderstood who Jesus was. It says their hearts were hardened. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh missed the point of miracles, which was faith. And I think for us, we have a tendency to miss the point of miracles as well. Miraculous things happen all around us all the time in our lives, and we tend to miss it. We tend to misunderstand, and then when the storm comes, we don't have an adequate understanding of Jesus. We don't really get who he really is, and it shows up in our fear. It shows up in our fear in the middle of the storm. Let's unpack this a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we misunderstand Jesus. That are, It's kind of common, and I think it, it happens accidentally, but we get in our heads different ideas of who Jesus is, and it may not be exactly who Jesus really is. Here's what I mean. So the problem is, in the middle of a storm, you can have an inadequate understanding of Jesus, just like the disciples. And if that happens, you're going to have a hard time getting through the storm. And here are the ways that we misunderstand him. So some people believe in party Jesus. What's that mean? Well, party Jesus is here to basically say, uh, Jesus just wants me to be happy. Right? I believe in party Jesus. In other words, bad things might happen, but really the goal of my faith in Jesus, or what Jesus gives to me, is he makes me happy. He kind of erases the problems in my life, and everything kind of goes up and to the right. And all, my whole life is just a big celebration 
that's what Jesus should give to me. And then when he doesn't, or when things get hard, or when Jesus himself says, yes, you are my friends, if you do what I command. What do I command? Love one another as I have loved you. Well, loving one another as he has loved us is messy. It's not always happy. And so if you believe in kind of party Jesus, that Jesus is going to let you down. Well, let's keep going. There's also Obi-Wan Jesus. Obi-Wan Jesus. It's this idea, well, Jesus was a wise sage with special powers and important teachings, but not a God to worship. Right? Jesus is kind of this mystical, somehow with the force or whatever he's using. Like He's got some kind of powers about him, and he, he gives us like pearls of wisdom. But if, if that's the version of Jesus that we believe in, there's still no power of sin and death. There's still, if he's not God, he's just simply a wise person trapped in history who died tragically at the hands of the Roman Empire. Or there is Tom Hanks Jesus. Tom Hanks Jesus, right? That Jesus is a trustworthy, nice guy. You know Tom Hanks is the most trustworthy person in America, according to People Magazine? It's amazing, Right? But that Jesus is just, he's just a nice guy. And he wants us to be nice to one another. And we can trust him. We can trust him. I could have easily have said Mr. Rogers Jesus, which is kind of strange because Tom Hanks played Mr. Rogers. But either way, Jesus is a trustworthy, nice guy. Maybe he doesn't do it for me, or maybe I don't go to church, or maybe I, it doesn't really do a lot for my spiritual life, but I can just say, I like Jesus. I like Jesus. He was a good guy. He was nice. And, and his goal is to kind of be good and nice to me. Like if I love him, he should reciprocate and be nice to me. Although I read scripture, I don't, I don't see Jesus just like playing nice. Uh, he tells the truth in love. And that isn't always nice, is it? All right. Or Jiminy Cricket Jesus. Jiminy Cricket Jesus. Which is like Jesus is basically my conscience. And then I need to let that be my guide. That Jesus is my kind. Like it's, he's not necessarily a person. He's just kind of like this um, uh, amorphous sort of God thing that tells me what to do. That helps me understand how to live my life morally correct, right? I do right instead of doing wrong. Jiminy Cricket Jesus. Or, you're going to love this one. Or, Mr. Belvedere Jesus. Anybody remember Mr. Belvedere? Now, when I got through this list, I realized this reflects a kid who grew up in the 80s. If you don't know who Mr. Belvedere was, there's a show about a butler who uh, loves a family. And I think people have a version of Jesus that I call Mr. Belvedere Jesus, where Jesus is my spiritual butler. In other words, he shows up when I need him, and he's there to give me really good advice in my life. This combination of understandings of Jesus is an inadequate understanding. In fact, uh, it was written in a book called Soul Searching. This is the first time this phrase came up, is that most Americans, particularly in younger generations, uh, who think they believe in the Christian faith, actually don't. They believe in something called moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, God exists to reward right and punish wrong, and my goal in life is to live a good life, and be a good person and go to heaven when I die. God's there to tend to my needs whenever I call out to him, you know, the cosmic butler or divine butler, like, um, hello, I have a problem, please show up, and otherwise isn't really engaged in my life. 
And I think for many Christians, we've somehow exchanged the power of the gospel to an impotent faith of moralistic therapeutic deism. Because this is not the same thing as understanding Jesus. And so what happens is, our faith doesn't work. Fear easily takes over because, for example, if we believe that um, God only rewards good and punishes evil, what happens when we think we're being good people? Hey, I never killed anybody. I'm living a good life. And then something bad happens to me. Wait a minute, God. That's not how this contract works. And so therefore, I don't believe in you. Or I I reject you. I'm going to run away from you. Or let's just say that, hey, I called upon God. Excuse me, God, I need your help now. And then the help doesn't come in the way that we think it should. What happens to our faith? There's like nothing left. We get destroyed by the storms because that was never the real Jesus anyway. If Jesus is anything less than God incarnate, the one who supernaturally rose from the dead to give us life, then fear is going to win every time. I think the problem with this version, moralistic therapeutic deism, with this version of Jesus, is that he is still in the tomb. Why is that a problem? Well, if he is, then so are we. He does nothing to rescue us from sin and death. The moralistic therapeutic deism version creates God as this, like, you know, this divine counselor that says, you know, I feel your pain but I do nothing about it. I can't actually rescue you. I just feel really bad for you. There's a great line in one one of my favorite all-time movies, all-time classic. You're gonna know it the second I show you this picture for the movie Jaws. If you remember this scene in Jaws, 1975 Jaws, Roy Scheider, uh, and this is the scene where they see the shark for the first time. They're out there going to find it. They see the shark for the first time. And remember what he says? We're going to need a bigger boat. And this plays off of the idea that, hey, listen, the equipment that we have for this, the problem is much bigger than our equipment's ability to handle it. We're going to need a bigger boat. And I think what happens is if we somehow shortchanged the real Jesus and substituted him with some other version of Jesus, it's not the right equipment to deal with with the problem that's in front of us. It's not enough to rest the weight of our lives on. When the storm comes, we have no escape. We have no safety. We aren't, probably aren't going to make it through that particular storm because we're going to need a bigger boat. Or put it this way, you're going to need a bigger Jesus. You're going to need a bigger Jesus. And this is where everything really kind of comes together. If we think we're going to live a life of faith over fear, we have to have a right-sized understanding of Jesus. Otherwise, it's all going to fall apart. If Jesus has conquered sin and death and has reconciled you to God through faith, then fear doesn't stand a chance. Why? Because what's there to be afraid of? The storm comes, whether we expect it to or not. We know we're going to make it. And listen, isn't that when faith matters the most anyway? It's easy when faith, when things are going well in your life, right? When everything's up and to the right, when things are good, we're happy, we're healthy, everything's good. Everything's the way it's supposed to be when we are living a life of faith in God. And then all of a sudden, 
something goes wrong, it's a lot harder. That's when we need our faith. That's when faith matters the most. The faith that gets you through the storm, whatever that storm looks like for you. And the only way you get through it is to have a right-sized understanding of Jesus. If you have a right-sized understanding of Jesus, faith is going to beat fear every time. If you have a right-sized understanding of Jesus, you're going to learn how to love your neighbor. Racial reconciliation will be something that is actually possible, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. It takes faith over fear in order to make that happen. So you need to be living your faith in love. That's the necessary survival instinct. You need to have a right-sized understanding of Jesus. If you don't have those two things, you're not going to be able to move forward and follow Jesus through the storm. What does this look like for you this morning? What's it look like for you? Have you somehow exchanged the real Jesus for some other version? And you've wondered why you feel so depleted, you feel so scared, you feel like faith is kind of hiding in the corner when the big waves come. That from your perspective, these waves look humongous. Here's the amazing thing from God's perspective. It's something he could walk right over. He can handle even the worst storm that you're facing. And you can too because of the Jesus who is with you. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior. Maybe today is a new beginning of faith for you. You know what? Let's pray that right now as we close uh, this message. Let's pray that this would be a new beginning to follow the real Jesus, not some other Jesus of our own making. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. Help us to Love you and follow you with our whole hearts. Help us to follow the real you. The one who died and rose again, who paid the penalty of sin and death so that we might live. That you haven't come just to bring us happiness, which comes and goes. You came to bring us life and life to the full. You make us alive in a way we would never be alive without you. So, Lord, make us alive again today. Help us to trust in you no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.